I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Loaded show today. We got uh, Corey's College Free Agents. We're going to talk about the Consensus 2024 NHL Draft Big Board. We've got a mailbag. I want to start though, Corey, you've had a couple of stories come out recently that, that I think we should get to on this show. One of them was a co-byline that you did with Katie Strang on the evolving scrutiny of NHL draft prospects. And uh, it's a really thorough story. I'd recommend everybody go read it. Um, but there is a prospect in this class who I think is at the center of that story, and that's Trevor Connolly, who we've talked about uh, briefly on the show in the past. But I just wanted to start this out um, by asking you about Trevor Connolly, the hockey player, and why he makes for an interesting kind of case study of this evolving scrutiny. Well, I mean, everywhere he's played this season, at least you know, outside like a, a weird showcase events like the All-American game, but when he's played with either international teams or his club team, uh, Tri-City Storm in the USHL, uh, he's been outstanding. He was a top player at the Linka Gretzky Cup in the summer. He's a top player at the World Junior A Challenge. And he's been one of the best forwards in the USHL this season. He's one of the best pure skaters in the draft, a dynamic skater. He's extremely skilled. He competes hard. I don't think the playmaking is outstanding, but it's good enough. Uh, he looks like a guy, you know, he's got decent size. He has all the indicators in terms of tools plus production of a guy who could be a top six forward for a very long time in the NHL. Uh, he has those kinds of traits. And I think he's a guy who on pure merit of his hockey ability would be a top 10 overall selection in the upcoming draft. But there are some concerns in, in NHL circles about some off ice issues with Connolly. It's a really thorough story. I'd, I'd highly recommend everybody go check it out. It's probably not the kind of thing that we can do justice on a podcast, um, but a really good story by Corey and Katie Strang. I think we've got the link in the description for you guys to go check that out, and I would highly recommend that you do so. Uh, more recently, Corey, you, you've also had another story come out on the free agents for out of college and out of the uh, Canadian Hockey League and out of Europe this year. These are players who are no longer within the scope of the draft. Teams have to go sign, and, and for the players, it means they get some say over where they go, which always, I think, makes for um, an interesting kind of free agent window in this back stretch of the season. And there is one name here, Corey, that seems to stand out 
uh, above all of the rest for you. You have Colin Graff out of Quinnipiac projected as a, a middle of the lineup player here, which is a pretty high level for what you're usually looking at in these markets. Yeah, correct. He is the big fish uh, this spring and summer. He, uh, you know, every, you don't get those kind of impact players every cycle. Let's say one of them every two to three years, where you know that it's a guy that looks pretty exciting that you think is going to play in the NHL. You maybe you don't get like high end level impact, but whether it's a guy like Daniel Kaiser, Justin Schultz, Ilian McKay, and even Logan O'Connor, the kind of guys you think can, can help an NHL team. And I think Graf has a good chance to be the next one. Uh, you look at a guy who's been an excellent college player. Uh, he's been a guy who's uh, put up significant scoring totals over the last two seasons, played a major part in Quinnipiac's run to a national title last spring. Uh, extremely skilled, good skater. Wouldn't call him like a real true hard to play against type. And he's a little bit on the small side, so he's not going to be killing penalties or, or or running guys over at the higher levels. Uh, but I think this is a guy with legitimate NHL offensive talent and maybe a guy who could be a third-line wing, second power play kind of guy. I realize that player type isn't overly exciting. You think you've got player type, you think I can find him in free agency. But you got to pay $2 million to find him in free agency. You can get this guy on a minimum contract. Well, so I found it interesting that he went back at all this year. I mean, he was a guy who was high on this list for you a year ago as well. As you said, he wins the national championship. And it, there was a part of me that was a little surprised to see him go back at all. Would you say that his kind of stock has, has meaningfully changed in that year? Any, and I, th- I think the goal scoring numbers have really gone up this season in a, in a per game um, basis. But would you say your evaluation on him has shifted at all from a year ago? Or is it just, you know, one more year in college to, to, to train, I guess? I've liked him a little bit more this year. I feel like he's gained a little bit more strength. The skating has popped for me a little bit more consistently than when I watched him last year. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have said he was the big fish last spring. I think he's kind of emerged at that this spring as a guy who looks, who I think can jump into the NHL right away, whether he does it start the following fall, we'll see. But I think he will, whoever signs him will have to guarantee him NHL lifetime right out of the gate. Uh, he, he has that kind of leverage and, and that kind of talent. And he's still, you know, pretty young. I mean, this is a guy who's only 21. When you think of a lot of college ages, think of 23, you know, 25, 24, 25. He's only 21, will be 22 at the start of next season. So you still think there's a little bit of physical uh, development to come, there's a little more runway for this player. And I think him waiting the extra year was good. I think he'll be more prepared for the NHL this spring. Is this a player that you think all all 32 we're going to be vying for? I know in the story you mentioned, that, you know, last spring there had been some rumors around the Red Wings. I look at a Massachusetts kid who spent his whole youth career for the junior Bruins and wonder about that. Is this a team that you expect just to be an all out bidding war a situation that you expect to see an all out bidding war? Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, Don Sweeney was spotted in one of his games recently, but he might've been looking at Jacob Quill in there too. His teammate also be a top prospect and he, he goes to a lot of college games. So it's not really uh, that noteworthy. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, it's not, I don't know where he's going to sign. I don't know about all 32 teams because it's a very specific player type. It's different when it's like a two way defenseman where you can kind of plug him anywhere in the lineup. You need him to play on your power play. His representatives will, uh, will look at depth charts and kind of make assumptions about where he fits. Uh, so I don't know uh, all 32 teams being on it, in on him, but I think a fair number of NHL teams will be at least be, uh, trying to see where, he, where he's at. And I, I'm going to guess that there's going to be about five to 10 teams on his short list. And you referenced Quill and that that's his teammate at Quinnipiac. 
I believe he was the MVP of the NCAA tournament last year, uh, and he comes in at number four on your list. Yep, very nice two-way player. When you go through these uh, free agents, you know it's a lot of guys who are long shots, who are probably American League players. It's pretty rare that you see guys who check off the typical boxes, that they have decent size, that they can skate, and they have offensive skills. And Quillen does that. I'm not saying he's the biggest or the fastest, but he's got NHL average size. He's a good skater. He competes hard. He's a two-way player. He's got some offensive tools. I don't think it's elite offensive tools. Hockey sense is just okay for me. But he can score goals. He's got hands. He plays with pace. Uh, and he's a guy who I think has, a, has the makeup of somebody who could potentially be a bottom six forward in the NHL. And you've seen him, again, pretty young, not an older college free agent, who's played important minutes on a top team, played well in big moments against very good players, and I think has some traits that you think could translate into the NHL. Within that same conference, the ECAC, uh, is Dartmouth goalie Cooper Black, who's at number five on your list. And, and the headline here could simply read, six foot nine goalie. <laughs> right. And the production hasn't been outstanding. I think there's a chance he goes back to school this season and will be highly attractive again the following season. You know, I and but the, like I said, it's it, you don't see a lot of guys who probably would be going to play basketball, pick hockey. And you know, he's a six foot nine goalie. I wouldn't say he's the quickest goalie I've ever seen in my life at that size. There's going to be some restrictions on how well you get around the crease, but he moves pretty well for a guy that size. He has decent hockey sense. Um, and you know, I think. He's going to take a while. He hasn't even dominated the ECAC yet. So you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be a lot, a lot of work to do there. But I think you know, when I'm talking to some scouts, there's a, there's a hope that if you hit on this guy, he could become like a Ben Bishop type with with that kind of physical toolkit. Not saying he will be. I don't think he will be. But I think this is the guy who has parts of the makeup of an NHL goaltender. And then over in in Europe, I think your top guy is in in Russia. That's Maxim Siplikov. Uh, from Spartak, hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, but a, a winger with uh, with a power game, it sounds like. Yep, you know he's big, uh, very skilled, great shots. Has a little bit of meanness in him. Doesn't mind throwing the body around. Uh, you know, so when I when you think about him, you think, oh, this sounds like Ilya Mikheyev a little bit. Big, uh, physical, got some sco- goal scoring touch. It's like I don't, and then scouts would push back on that. They would say he doesn't have, he doesn't skate quite like Mikheyev did. Mikheyev was a clear NHL level skater. This guy has more below average feet. See a lot of big guys with below average feet with some skill in these lists. What makes him different? Well, I just think it's the degree of offensive talent we're talking about. This is a, one of the top scores in the KHL right now. I'll beat us a 25-year-old. Uh, and he plays hard, which makes you, you know, a little bit more comfortable with his game translating to the higher levels, even though he isn't the best skater. So I think this guy has a decent chance to be a bottom six winger. I know there's a lot of NHL interest in this player. Uh, the big fish from a free agent perspective right now in Russia is Vasily Atanasov in Torpedo. We've talked about him on another episode of this podcast. His deal's up in one year, not this summer. So we're going to we're, this is probably going to be the, the guy like Graf we're talking about a lot this time next year. All right. Great stuff. Check that out on The Athletic. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break. Be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. And we're back. And, and usually we're on the show talking about articles that I do or that my colleague Scott Wheeler does or Chris Peters at Flow Hockey. Uh, but today we're going to be discussing about an article that Max wrote about the NHL draft at The Athletic, the con- first edition, I believe, of the consensus big board, where Max will take an average of the rankings by Scott, Chris, myself, and using the scout poll that TSN's Bob McKenzie does to try and paint uh, a best attempt at projecting how the draft will actually go and where the thoughts around the industry tend to be right now and max you know looking at this list right right away uh what was the first thing that immediately stood out to you yeah well so when i when i go to turn it into an article obviously i take the averages of the of the list and i you know create the the composite ranking and then i i try to split it up into different categories to make it a little more digestible and one of the ones i like to do is the biggest variance um from, from the highest ranking to the next highest ranking on a guy. And this year it was not even worth a category. It was, there was not the, the kind of variance that we saw, particularly last year, it was really notable on some guys. And this year, you know, you Scott and Chris and, and, and the scouts in Bob's list uh, were pretty close. There's a few exceptions and we'll talk about a couple of those here, but I, I thought that was interesting. And I, I guess I, I'd kind of want to turn that on you, Corey. Is that re- reflective of an industry idea of when, when you talk to scouts when you talk to executives is there a feeling that there's a really clearly defined group here with spin with an especially i guess i'd say the top 15 to, to 20 well i look at the from last year's draft and i think of the guys who either shot up as the season went on or went a lot higher than people expected and they were almost all european players 
and some of them in situations where people couldn't watch them regularly. I'm thinking of David Reinbacher, an Austrian playing in Switzerland, uh, where I know in the second half of the season, NHL scouts were flooding uh, the building when, when he was playing in Switzerland. But that was not a guy who was commonly known in his uh you know, when he played the World Juniors on national television, his team never had to puck the entire game. So I think he lacked a little bit of exposure. Then you have the Russian situation where Matvey Michkov had been commonly known and on national TV several times and had a lot of hype behind him. But your typical fan didn't know about Dmitry Simashev very well, didn't know about Daniel Boot very well, uh, Nick Danielson even though he's playing in Canada, was never a Holinka Gretzky, never a World U18s, never a World Juniors. So I think there was a lot of guys off the beaten track a little bit. I don't think in Russia you have that big an issue this year. The top guy, Ivan Demidov, may not have been in a major national event, but he was probably going to be a two-time MVP of the Russian Junior League. So people are well aware of him. People seem to be on Igor Chernyshov. I don't think that was going to surprise anybody if he goes top 15, top 20. So I think that's a big distinction. And, you know, then Tom Willander kind of just shot as the year went on with his play over in Sweden. Uh, so I, I'm looking at the consensus guys this year. It's a lot of Canadians. Um, the Europeans that are high, I don't think are like, you know, guys that name that would surprise you. But it is typically a lot of Canadians, a lot of Americans re- really high on this list. Um, so that's kind of why I think you're not seeing a ton of variance. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure it does, and and it is it does make it even more interesting. I'd say that that Carter Yakumchuk, who is certainly uh, kind of that that all Canadian, so to speak, uh, defenseman, you're you're significantly higher than the other three rankers on him. You've got him at, at third. Uh, I think the next highest on him was ninth or tenth, tenth uh, from from Chris Peters. Um, I know we've talked about him on the show recently enough, and I think you and Scott even debated him a couple weeks back, but. Uh, were you? I mean, I know you, you see some of these rankings when they come out. Did it jar you at all to see how much higher on on Yakumchuk uh, than the other three rankings here? No, it didn't jar me because I've heard these debates within the league. There are some teams that are super high on this player who have him right around where I have him, and there are some that have him closer to where the consensus is or where the low people have him. They are worried about his skating. They worry about his defensive play. I don't think he's the most technically smooth skater you'll ever see in your life, but I think he's a good skater. He's a powerful skater. I see him get by plenty of people. The WHL level pull away from pressure, closes gaps well enough. Again, not the main thing about his game that gets you excited, but for me, not an issue. I think he can skate in the NHL, but but that's the divide. Because if, if everybody thought he was a good skater and a good defender, then you would have a potential 30, 35 goal scoring defenseman in the WHL who's big and physical. And I don't think there would be a lot of debate. So I think that that debate reflects, I think, what's going on in, in the NHL scouting circles as well. The skating on the on the big defenseman is always fascinating because you you think about how much better it always looks when they get to age 23, 24, 25. They're in their man body, so to speak. They have the requisite muscle to move that much size around. And I wonder, if does that make you a little more forgiving of a defenseman who uh, it doesn't look as graceful, perhaps, as a Sam Dickinson? But you know at that size, it, it, when the muscle comes, it, it could look a whole lot better. Yeah, possibly. I kind of still think he's a good skater. I've seen, like, you can, when I, whenever I go watch him play, I think he gets around fine. Like I said, he gets pulls away from pressure easily, carries pucks up the ice pretty well. I don't see there being an issue. I know there's a lot of buzz on him 
to the CHL top prospects game, he tested very poorly in the skating drills. Like he was among the bottom in a lot of categories. So I think that set up alarms. In my history, watching that testing a lot, uh, I I and I'm, I love data. I'm a data first kind of guy. I use it all the time. But uh, that's definitely that uh, testing is definitely more of an eye test for me than it is for using the data. I've seen a lot of bad skaters test well, and a lot of good skaters test poorly in those testings. Uh, I, I don't think it's the best process, and so I don't put a ton of stock into that. But I know some were alarmed by it. Well, the flip side of that, I guess, is one of the guys we just mentioned. That's Sam Dickinson, who uh, I think tested quite well by those metrics and that I would say matches the eye test for me on him. Um, he's a guy that came in at seventh on our list with remarkable consistency, right? Like kind of the theme of the board. Uh, highest ranking was Chris at, at six. Lowest ranking was Scott at eight. That's like a, a consensus, solidly consensus top 10 player. Um Where do you think he actually goes? Is that a, re- a reflection there or when you here everyone kind of really likes this guy can that elevate someone even more yeah i think i did my last list about a month ago this time late january i'm gonna put a new one in a couple of weeks here and i think sam's gonna be higher than i had him before uh i mean london's been on such a tear over the last few months he's been one of their best players over that span he's putting up really good numbers for a defenseman uh the skating is outstanding uh as I continue to watch him this year, I think I just continue being impressed by him, by how much offense he's showing, by how good a defender he is because of his feet, the size. He has enough uh, compete and jam in his game as well. Uh, when I watch this guy, it's hard for me not to think of some of those premium big defense prospects we've seen over the years. Guys like Ahampus Lindholm, guys like Jake Sanderson. Uh, so I think... And I, I understand the offensive upside test analyzing guys like Ivan Demidov and, and Cole Eiserman. I understand Artie Lifshunov has more offense in his game, but just knowing what NHL teams tend to covet, I think the 6'3", highly mobile defenseman, one of the best skaters in this draft, even at that size, who is showing legit offense on an elite CHL team, uh, I think that player is going to be a top five pick when it's all said and done. Well, you just compared him to Levshunov, who sounded like favorably to Levshunov, who finished second overall on this list. Is there a chance Sam Dickinson's the first defender off the board? I think there is. Yeah, I just think when you think of the toolkit, I think all those guys are in that discussion. I think I could call any NHL scout right now and ask them who's their top defenseman. And I think between Anton Salayev, Dickinson, Levshunov, and Yakumchuk, I'll get a different answer. Wow. Going to be a really interesting D class. I mean, that was kind of the other trend here was was this is such a strong defense class. And you look at last year, and I think it was actually at the time of the consensus, the final consensus big board. I don't think we had a single defenseman in the top ten of that one. Three obviously go in the top. I want to say eleven is where Willander went last year. Um, but this year, if you just look at at that top eleven, I think we have six defensemen uh, in in our ranking here in the in the top eleven. So it, it will be uh, really distinct difference from last class in that way and the other two defensemen zane parek z boyum they just keep playing really well yeah. uh and just keep impressing nhl scouts i think when it's all said and done there's a very good chance six defensemen go in the top 10 of, of this draft that's awesome that's that's going to make for really interesting uh draft day and, and obviously those are the classes that are, i think are the most fun to monitor because you have so many top guys that are so comparable to one another so early um, one thing I wanted to ask you about 
putting this together. I, I talked about kind of that top group, and I, I saw it as kind of maybe 15 to 17 as, as uh, maybe even you could even get to 20, I guess, on, on seemed pretty broad agreement on. Beyond that, though, there's something really interesting that happens in, in, in the last 10 to 12 spots, and, and the draft starts to look um, like a lot of small offensive D and a lot of smaller skilled wingers. I know this is a topic we've talked on the show a lot about, but um, did you have a reaction to seeing that at all? Well, I just would uh, doubt that's going to be the reality in June. I said, looking through the article, not that I don't think some of these guys are really good players, but because you rank them, you're part of it. You you rank them in that same range in a lot of cases. Right. Right. Some of them I didn't, but a lot of them I did too. I just think when you think of how NHL draft tends to go, like at 21, we got Aaron Kivaharu. He's a 5'9 defenseman. 25, Cole Hudson, 5'10 defenseman. Uh, Tanner Howe then, 5'9 wing. Ryder Ritchie, 5'11 wing. Nikita Artamanov, 5'10 wing. Henry Muse, 6'0 defenseman. Tarek Parashek, 5'11 wing. Andrew Basha, 5'11 wing. When I think of what the NHL teams tend to cover, which is a little bit more size, centers, defensemen. I just have a hard time envisioning all of those player types going in the top 32 picks. You know, I think of some bigger players. I think of Dominic Badinka, uh, 6'3 mobile defenseman playing SHL games. I think of Adam Kleber, 6'5 mobile physical defenseman who, who's playing very well in the USHL, has a chance to be on the world championship team for USA uh, this, uh, this April. Uh, Marek Vanneker in Brantford, Matvey Sharav in, in, in Russia, uh, Julius Mietnin in Everett, uh, EJ Emery with the program. Uh, trying to think of anyone else maybe might be missing. Uh, you know, what maybe I didn't say Skahan, uh, Jesse Polkinen. I think there's a bunch. Dean Letourneau, I think, is a new, I know there's a lot, a lot, a guy a lot of teams have as a potential late first, six, seven center playing at St. Andrews College. I just think those are the names that you'll probably see more as the late first high seconds. Like I remember going to the draft last year, we talked about Ichin Gauthier and Andrew Cristal and Riley Height. Uh, I might be forgetting somebody, uh, you know, Grayson Sachin, those type of names. And then who actually goes there are guys like Nico Mayatova, Kasper Haltunen, Ant- Anton Wahlberg, Callum Ritchie, Strammel, Bonk, David Edstrom. So I just think there won't be any of those 5'11 wings who go there. Uh, I just think it's probably not going to be proliferated with those player types yeah to your point if you if you take kind of those same parameters really the only guys in that range last year were perot uh bradley nadeau tanner mullendick uh Gulyayev, and i guess otto stenberg is on the smaller side i don't know if he's quite as small but but smaller than i think he's under six foot right yeah he's about five eleven five eleven and a half again i'm not saying none of those guys are going to go in the first round i'd be surprised yeah. if there's eight of them totally yeah for sure All right, uh, let's take a break there, and we're going to come back uh, with the mailbag. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Corey, it's mailbag time. We've got a really good one right off the top from Jeff's Penguins, who wants to know what kind of young NHL player and top prospect the Pens should target in a Jake Gensel trade. This is fascinating for a bunch of reasons, but I think we could probably just start here with like, what would you do with Jake Gensel as Kyle Dubas here? 
It's a great question. I think there's so many ways you can go about this. Like first, I would ask off the top, like how good do we really, really think Jake Gensel is. I think it's always been a fascinating question for me when I think of like the all-time great draft picks and the guys who've had significant success in the later rounds. Jake Gensel always comes up. Huge numbers in the NHL. A ton of success, especially given to where he was picked. Really skilled, really intelligent. But I, I can't say I've dug into Gensel in a lot in recent years. But I've always kind of had the question of the you know, what if scenario if he wasn't always playing with Crosby all the time? And that's always kind of been a question in my mind. Not that I don't think he's a really good player. I think in like a return for him, I'm thinking of like the Max Pacioretty trade, for example, where they got a significant return. You're hoping to get a top prospect back. You're hoping to get a really high draft pick back, maybe two significant future assets. Because even though he's a wing, he's still a really high scoring wing. It's interesting to me, though, because I think what you want if you're going to get the draft pick is you're probably not going to see the benefit of that draft pick, even if it's a relatively early first rounder and by deadline standards for three, four years, which I think is after when you're Pittsburgh, you know, when it's going to be really useful to you. Um, obviously, at some point, you have to restock. I think if you're doing it, though, you're probably getting that pick to flip for a different player, though, right? Like, is that... If you can't get the 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 young player that you want it directly in return for Gensel, you have to be thinking of it. Can I get a pick that I can trade for a different young player to put next to Sidney Crosby going forward? I think the Penguins are a real conundrum. Like I, I mean, we always like to give opinions of what we think teams should do, and we think we have all the answers. But I look at the situation and I think I have no idea what they should do. To be to be quite honest, like I've heard uh, their general manager Kyle Dubas talk about how they need to get younger, and it's like, okay, well, what does that look like in practice? What does younger mean? Like getting eighteen-year-olds or getting twenty-three-year-olds? Because that's a, a big distinction. And it's you talk about flipping the pick and or flipping, uh, you know, tr- or trying to turn something into more actionable NHL players because we are acting under the assumption that Sidney Crosby isn't going anywhere, that Evgeny Malkin isn't going anywhere right now. They're not, unless something really changes, that they're not doing a complete blow up of this core and that they're still going to try and get younger while also trying to still make the playoffs and still trying to win, which is a line I've never seen anybody really balance effectively, but we'll see whether they do it or not. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting situation. You know, I've seen our writers, whether it's Sean Gentile, whether it's Josh Yo, talk about how they need to trade whatever futures they have, you know, try and make this team as best as they can right now, even though they're probably not going to be a playoff team for two years in a row right now. I've talked to NHL personnel who are like, you know, I would trade Brian Yeager. I would trade Owen Pickering because realistically, when are those guys going to help make a difference for you? All right, it's probably not going to be Wall Sidney Crosby still in the NHL. So it's like, what's the plan here? And it's tough to say what the plan should be because, again, this is not a good team. They haven't been in the playoffs now, probably going to be for two years running. Uh, it's hard to imagine how they make this roster much, much better, especially if they move Jake Gensel. Maybe they extend him. Who knows? Um, but if you don't try and get futures, when Crosby is ready to move on, it's going to be really tough because you're going to start with nothing. And you you think of like any other organization that has truly done like a tear down rebuild. They usually start with something because even if they those that something isn't on your next playoff team, 
It could be part of the assets you move at a deadline five years from now that help you become a playoff team. So it could be, you know, people always talk about a five-year plan for a rebuild. If if the Penguins don't get more assets into their organization, when the dark days come, it's going to be like an eight to 10-year rebuild. The only franchise I can think of, I was trying to rack my brain when you said, I don't think I've ever seen someone straddle that line gracefully. Would Dallas count? Like, like they were kind of able to do it around Sagan and Ben, who aren't Crosby and Malkin. But it but did they, take they, like they an all-time draft for class. Sagan, though. They did, but but they they already kind of had him there when when they kind of had to you know walk because you know they go they get the year where they are drafting third overall and you're like well they they're they're on the hook for these contracts, but it did take a, an all-time draft in that year in 2017 to basically get them out of it with with Haskin and Robertson and and Ottinger. Right. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have like a massive draft where you get significantly overvalue players, not overvalued, but over the their their draft Surplus. pick value, yeah. yeah, it helps a lot. Like it's why Detroit was able to contend for so long because they kept getting late round value when they shouldn't have been getting it, and it just extended the window. So you can always say yes if if like some fourth round pick for Pittsburgh really really hits, it can help extend the window. If like use one of the projects, if like Mikhail Ilian in Russia becomes a really good top six forward, sure it could change things. If Owen Pickering becomes like a top pair defenseman. Sure, it could change things, but it's, you know, I, it, I've had this debate with other organizations when they've been in this situation. And it's basically your plan, quote unquote, is to basically be smarter than the rest of the league and get draft steals. Like, I don't think that's a great plan. Yeah, it's a matter of how many times can you expect something like that to happen to you? Because um, frankly, the, the Penguins have had something like what you just described happen to them. His name is Jake Gensel. So uh, I guess to, and Brian to, Brian Rust. And, that's right. Yeah. You know, the, and you, you know, Jerry's been very solid for them. And like, I'm not saying you know they had got Matt Murray and he and he helped them when when they needed him to help him. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it's even like I just think. It takes a certain level of arrogance to think that you're going to outdraft the rest of the league consistently. Yeah. So I guess to, to, to tie a bow on the question, what kind of young NHL player and top prospects should they target in the Gensel trade? Uh, it, it's not really, there's not one great answer here, partly because I think, you know, you look at some of the teams that we've heard around, uh, you know, linked to, to, to Jake Gensel and reports. I don't know if they're the teams that have the bustling farm systems always to, to make you really thrilled with something like this, right? Like, like I mean, you, I, you, you know the Oilers are one of the teams you you've kind of heard linked to Jake Gensel. Are you that juiced about Philip Broberg as the return? No, but I think just like I said, when the Pacioretty trade, where they got Nick Suzuki yeah. in that trade, I think you prefer a nineteen to twenty year old prospect because I like Broberg. I think he could be a four or five defenseman in the NHL, maybe a three if things really turn around in his development. I prefer that because I think he could be on your team next year, as opposed to a first round pick. Yeah. It's probably going to be a late first round pick and that you're hoping he'll be a regular for you in four years from now. I'm sure Crosby will get really excited about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one's from Kevin who says, can you compare Ivan Demidov to Matvey Michkov? Uh, who do you think will be a better player based on what, we, and, and who do you think will be a better player so far based on what we've seen uh, from Lane Hudson and Cole Hudson? All right. Those are two different analysis. Well, let's focus on Demidov versus Michkov for a second. Cause you know, same organization. I guess technically Mishkov hasn't played for Ska regularly in two years, but 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 technically they're both Ska players. Uh, I think Demidov is a 
uh, much more competitive player than Mitchkov is. Like he's hard, he gets to the net, he wins a lot of battles, he attacks pucks. Uh, so you like that tenacity in his game a little bit more. I think his skating strike's a little wonky for me, but he's a much more powerful, elusive skater than Mitchkov is. And while he has a ton of skill, I don't think he quite has the natural offensive touch that Mitchkov has. I think Mitchkov's hockey sense is off the charts, his creativity, the way he sees plays develop and makes plays. Uh, Demidov has elite skill, but I think Mitchkov's skills is another level or two, frankly, higher. Uh, Mitchkov is a really interesting player to evaluate. I still think really, really highly of the player, right? And just for the reason I just said, extremely skilled, extremely intelligent, great natural scorer. But if you were a detractor, you would say, well, this is, you know, now two years in a row, this supposed elite prospect can't make the team he signed with. Um, not a great skater, small, average competitor, uh, you know, flags against him. But you'll be like, well, the production is so good. It's like, yeah, it's on a bad team. And, you know, Ely Tolvanen lit up the KHL too, but he didn't have the feet or the size to translate to the higher level. So those are the arguments against him. People who would like Demidov would say, I think his game is a more of a natural fit for the NHL. But for me, Eileen Mitchkov, like I just think the, he has his issues, a lot of issues. We discussed them a lot in his draft year. But I think the offensive abilities are just so elite, across the board elite offensive abilities, uh, that I think he will find a way to be a real difference maker in the NHL. And then in terms of Cole versus Lane Hudson, um, I think you like that Cole's a little bit bigger. I think he's a little bit more physical than Lane. I still think you're just like Lane, you're going to have questions on how well he's going to defend as a pro. So I think he's a good, pretty good skater and he does defend hard. Uh, I don't view him as like a matchup player by any means in the pros. And I don't think he has quite the dynamic abilities that Lane does. I think he is very good offensively. He has really good hockey sense. He's very skilled, probably skates better than Lane does, but I don't think he thinks the game like Lane doesn't break shifts open the way the Lane does. And for that reason, I would lean towards Lane, although I don't think it's a giant gap between the two players. So, Lane went in the third round, or, or was it late second or early third? Or late? I think it was late second. Late second. He had to wait really, really long time to hear his name called. And, and we just talked about on our consensus board. We got him, I think, in the in the late twenties. There. Um, what's the bigger reason for Cole being so much higher on our? I don't, I don't remember if we did a consensus big board Lane's year. But do you think it's more to do with the size, or do you think it's more to do with how good Lane has been, and people kind of? Coming around to that as being maybe more willing to rank Lane or Cole a little higher than Lane was. I think there's size as a variable. I think when you say five ten defensemen, there's at least ten names you could think yeah. of in the NHL. When you said five eight defensemen, there was nobody you could think of. Lane would be the extreme outlier in that regard. And while some NHL teams really do like Cole, I think most don't. I think most view him as like a second or third round pick. I think that is not reality on draft day i do not think he'll be a late first or even a high yeah. second i think he will go closer to where lane went quite frankly all right uh all right next one i think is a really interesting one from grant who wants to know about the ascent of the u.s based junior and amateur leagues the ushl the ncaa uh, relative to the chl i think this is something we're seeing more and more especially uh you look at some of the high level canadians macklin celebrini would be one owen power would be another kent johnson a couple years back uh, choosing to go the USHL and then NCAA routes um, as opposed uh, Ken Johnson did the BC, the BCHL, not the USHL, but then the NCAA routes as opposed to the CHL. 
Well, I think you're going to see just as many Canadians picked in the first round this year who have played in the USHL as Americans. Uh, between Celebrini, Sasha Boivere, and Michael, Michael Hage, and I think the Americans would be uh, Zeev Boyum, uh, Iserman, and, and Trevor Connolly. And it's hard to say what an exact reason is. Obviously, the USHL has continued to, to build in prominence and attract players. Uh, it's hard not to think of the COVID seasons playing at least some variable in this. Not that I think kids are worried that the CHL is going to shut down again or, some, or something along those lines. But I think, you know, during those couple of seasons, particularly the year where the CHL was shut down and the USHL was playing, they got a lot more PR. Uh, they got, you know, it was a lot more evident, uh, you know, to people who followed junior hockey in the draft that this was the league that was carrying on and whether you can agree to secure the policy based on whatever you thought of what was going on with COVID at the time. It's hard not to think of that when you think of the fact that in that draft season, you had guys like Owen Power who played in the USHL, for example. You had Cole Sillinger go play in the USHL. You had Matthew Coronado play in the USHL, Matthew Samuskevich. Uh, it's hard not to think of that season at least playing some um, part in the fact that you've seen the growth of the USHL over the last few years in terms of a priority for Canadian European players. Uh, in terms of European players, too, you have Artie Lashunov. Who's gonna, who played USHL because the CHL is not accepting Russians or Belarusians. Uh, I think there's all a bunch of reasons. Obviously, college hockey's been a great place for developing players. I don't think there's one reason. But there's definitely some factors that stand out significantly to me in the last few years. All right. Uh, next one is from Mike, who wants to know how far could Cole Eiserman fall come draft day? Again, this is all kind of relative here, right? Like, if you're if you're thinking of Cole Eiserman coming into the season as the potential top three pick, how far he could fall might be a little more dramatic than you know. More recently, I think we've talked about him as more of a back half of the top ten guy, but nonetheless, like, where do you see him kind of going on come draft day? I think he'll still go very high. As you said, he's a no doubt first round pick exceptional score at the junior level over the last two seasons. You know, there are, even though I think his last few weeks have been better in terms of things to do it with other than his goal scoring. I think there are still significant concerns on this player as a six Oh wing average playmaker, average compete on where that fits in the NHL. We've talked before, when you think of Alex Holt, Phillips, Adina, Owen Tippett, Oliver Walsh, even Cole Caulfield, who's been, you know, the, the major hit of that kind of player type. The the shoot first winger uh, tends to rub NHL evaluators the wrong way. And, you know, I think you see those guys go a little bit later than people tend to mock them early on. Like I think of, you know, Oliver Walsh was supposed to be a top five, six pick. You know, Zed- maybe he was a little later than people expected. Same thing with Zadina, same thing with Caulfield, same thing. You can say with Owen Tippett to to an extent. So I think of guys like Walsham and Tippett because maybe the size is a little bit closer there, even Zadina a little bit too. And I think like eight to twelve, I think is his projected range right now. I just think of all the centers and all the defensemen in this draft, not a ton of centers, but enough that I think teams are really excited about. And I think when push comes to shove, like I think we talked about this in the consensus board segment. Like I, I have a really hard time seeing when teams meet and the management gets involved and you're talking about Sam Dickinson, who's a six, three excellent skating defenseman who's a point per game on a top OHL team and teams saying, no, let's take the six Oh goal score wink instead. I just think when 
think of all those centers and defensemen, I think seven to eight is when the conversation starts for Iserman. Yeah, I mean, the, the parallel there is probably something like Jake Sanderson and Alexander Holtz, if, if you want to do not or bad Sanderson comparables. versus Drysdale. Right, yes, that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just think the, the big mobile guys, um, and obviously, yes, Holtz would, would, would be a more direct comparison in terms of the two player types, but I just think of like yeah. the guys that teams tend to value really highly. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, JP Claremont wants to know about TJ Ginla and what, if he could reach star territory in terms of his projection. If so, what tools does he need to add or improve in order to do so? Ginla's been one of the bigger risers this whole year already, so certainly the arrow is trending up there. It is trending up. Uh, I do think he. This is a guy who might have an opportunity to play for Team Canada. I think you know Kelowna is a decent team this year. They're not a top team. Uh, the U18s Worlds are starting later this season than usual. I though we will be able to get two full rounds of CHL playoffs done before Canada has to name their roster. So I think that will give a real opportunity to a guy like Ginla to go play for Team Canada, play against Team USA, where I think it's going to be a really good Finland team and see where he stacks up against his age group, which he didn't get to do in the summer at the Holinka Gretzky. He wasn't invited to that team, wasn't considered a top prospect at the time. Because as you said, his star has risen significantly as the season has progressed. 40 goals already as we as we speak. Really skilled player. Uh, I talked to some teams that have him in the top 10. Most don't. But I think depending on how his tournament would go, would uh, basically give you an answer in terms of how high he's going to go in the draft. All right. Uh, Blake wants to know who's currently the favorite to go first overall in 2025. I keep hearing more and more about Brundell. Uh, obviously, two of the other names we've talked about at various points in the show, James Hagens and Michael Misa. Uh, are we looking at a, at a triumvirate there, or what's the, what's the status in 2025? I think it's wide open. I think the name we've been always been saying is James Hagens. Um, but what the, the feedback I've been getting from a lot of NHL teams lately about that is don't put that in, in stone. Not that I don't think that James Higgins isn't a dynamic skater or really skilled, but they don't see like this no-doubt first overall type. I think you mentioned Misa. He's in the mix. I think Frondell is definitely in the mix. I think Porter Martone in Mississauga is in the mix. I think Roger McQueen uh, from Brandon is is in the mix. Uh, all, all those guys have uh, really good arguments to be at the top of the draft. What the order is, we'll see in, in a year and a half from now. Um, but I think those are the names that come to mind right away. Uh, but I wouldn't say, you know, I think there's been a lot of guys in the program who've struggled this year. I think of, you know, I know they have good numbers, but I don't think Hagen and Eisenman, from what I've seen this year, have blown you away. Like, holy hell, they're they're elite players. There's no doubt about it. I think a lot of those defensemen, like Will Skay and EJ, EJ Embry, have disappointed to, to an extent. Uh, Hensler came out of the game flying, came out of the gates flying in the first half and then kind of slowed down as season has gone on. I think there's a lot of guys in the, on that program team who have a lot to prove at the April tournament. So I don't think their season has gone very well. Right now, the program is last in their conference in the USHL. Um, so I don't, I don't, I think we thought Higgins was the guy early on. I still think he's among the guys. I don't think he is the, the guy. All right. Uh, and then last one is from Koharski's Donuts. Where's Alexander Holtz? We just talked about him in his development. And is he worth moving for a goalie like Jacob Markstrom? Or should the Devils be looking at him as a longer-term piece? This is a, a little bit of a two-parter here. So let's just start first with Holtz as a prospect. Where do you see him in his development? How close to being what he's going to be is he? I mean, I think he's been fine. Like, I don't think he's been bad this year. Obviously, he's not playing a ton. and He has limitations in this game. Not the best skater, not the hardest to play against type. But he's really skilled. He's a natural goal scorer. Uh, he's shown enough offense this year to be intriguing. I think 
he looks like a good player. He looks like a replaceable player too. Like I wouldn't let him uh, be the difference between you and taking a major upgrade at an important position be the difference. Like I don't, I don't think your organization is significantly hampered if you lose him. Just like I don't think the Devils would be significantly hampered because they lost Shakir McCamadoulin. I think that's the kind of similar analysis. I, I like Holtz. I like McCamadoulin. I'd want them in my organization. I think they can play in the NHL for a long time, uh, but I don't think there's of such importance in. Uh, to make them not tradable. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. It's a great way to keep up with Corey and Scott and all their work, especially at this time of year. That's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you soon.